Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. Today, I only got to say a thousand words a day, and uh, good to see you guys today. Uh, haven't you enjoyed just the presence of the Lord and our song ministry and everything so far? Good. Yeah? Yeah? All right. Good, good. Well, today I'm going to talk with you about the creation story. This is something the Lord put on my heart, and it'll most likely be a two-week, uh, a two-week deal. And so we're just going to look at what happened, happened, uh, the seven days of creation, specifically the six days of creation, and I'm going to hit some little points uh, in the story uh, that is applicable to us, but yet also takes us a little deeper of what was really happening in the story. Some of the days we'll breeze over. Some of the days we'll actually look at and see exactly what God was saying on a deeper uh, level. It's really important uh, to know the creation story. How many of you can tell me exactly what happened on what days, one through six? This is really good that I'm doing this. <laughs> Thank you for being very honest. Man, you just confirmed. You just gave me an absolute confirmation that I'm on point this morning. So anyway, it's very important to realize what exactly happened uh, because it speaks of God. For me, there is a handful of things in Scripture that legitimately prove to me the, the, just the, the power or the existence of God. Now, I've shared with you guys before, I'm a skeptical, I'm a skeptic at heart. I'm a very much so, uh, I need to see it to believe it. Uh, I relate to doubting Thomas way more than I relate to Peter. And God has, has had to work with me through some things in order for me to have the faith uh, that I have. I, I personally feel I have a very strong faith in God. Uh, it is very stable. Uh, I can believe in what I don't see. But God has had to walk with me and kind of push me and lead me in order to be at this place I am in my faith. And there, for me, are some absolute standouts that causes me to believe in the reality and the true existence of not just a higher power, but as the God of the Bible. One of those is just the full-on life reproduction system. When you look at life's reproduction system and how it works, I can't help but to see God. The other one is creation. When you look at creation, the Bible even t teaches us that creation itself speaks of and proves the existence of God. And so we're just going to look at creation and look at some things uh, in it. Before I get started, though, I, I want us to look at the reputation of sevens just within the creation story itself. Now, the Bible, as you know, and I know Pastor Ross was really big on numbers, so if you've been with Westside in any period of time, I'm sure you know this. But the number seven represents God's perfect order or just perfection. And it's very amazing when you look at, when you look at the Bible and see how many things line up in the form of sevens. And it's no different in the creation story. There's a plethora of things that 
are just based off of sevens in the creation story. And before I share those with you, it's important to realize that there is a behind-the-scenes story going on. And the behind-the-scenes story that we get from sevens is the way that God created and established life is a perfect form of order. Perfect. Can you say perfect? There is no wrong in it. There is no lack in it. There is no problems with it. When God established life, the universe, the world, us, and everything within and everything associated with it, he did it so in an absolute perfect order. There's nothing in life that resembles perfection like the way God created the earth. And we see that confirmed just by the law of sevens. So, for example, let me give you a few of them. There are seven Hebrew words in Genesis 1-1. There are seven Hebrew words in Genesis 1-2. The term God is used seven times in the creation story. The term heaven is used seven times in the creation story. The term or the phrase, it is so, is used seven times in the creation story. The word good, referring to God looking at what he had done and said this is good or this is very good, occurred seven times. Hebrew words that describe the seventh day are seven. Seven Hebrew words to describe uh, the seventh day. And so when you look at the law of sevens in Scripture and you see it in the creation story, you cannot help to know that when God created life, he created it in a perfect way. Now the problem is God's perfect world is populated with some perfect problems. Look at somebody say, I'm a perfect problem. Look at them say, you just don't know, but I know I look good, but I'm a perfect problem. You don't want to say that, do you? All right, all right. You, some self-denial going on. You know, the first cure to an issue is, is uh, truth, not denial. Look at someone and say, I'm a perfect problem. So let's look at these. Let's go. And what you will notice is day one through three is, is days of separation. Days four through six are days of population. And day seven is a day of regeneration. So when you look at this and when we go into this, you have to look at it in the lens of perfection. This is perfect. And you have to see the sections of it, which speaks another story, which I will get to most likely next week. The first three days are days of separation. The last three days are days of population. And then the very last day is a day of regeneration. And man, if I was supposed to say this next week, but I'm already on it. What we see is a cycle of God operating. So God operates in this specific cycle. God will separate things from us, and then God will populate us, and then God will regenerate us. So oftentimes in life, in order for God to put us in a position to populate us, 
to populate us with blessings, to populate us with his will, to populate us with his power, to populate with his good. He has to create a separation in us. A separation from a type of sin, a separation in a relationship, a separation from a mindset, a separation from issues of our past, a separation from offense. And he doesn't separate us all at once because we could not humanely handle everything that we need to be separated at one time. So God puts us through seasons, and through seasons there is a separation. And then after he separates us, separates us from certain things, he puts us in a position to populate us, to fill us with his image and his likeness and his blessings. And then after the population, there comes a time of regeneration, which is rest, building up, getting ready for the process again. The Bible says we go from glory to glory, but a better way of saying it is we go from season to season. We go from separation, population, to regeneration. Look at someone and say, you go from separation, population, to regeneration. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you see this cycle in the Old Testament, you see this cycle in the New Testament, and you see it right here. In creation at the very beginning. Day one, day two, and day three was days of separation, and I'm going to share what that means. And next week, days four, five, and six, you will see how the earth began to get populated. So let's look at, let's look at number one. I'm going to read the verse as we go along. I'm not going to read it in its uh, totality. Before we actually get to day one, uh, we got to look at Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, though. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So before we get into the days, I'm sorry I prematurely had you do this, let's just look at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning... God created. Can you, can, can you say it loud and clear? God created. Creation is not a byproduct of evolution. Let's just be very loud and clear about that. Teenagers, young adults, college students, you know more times than not Our education system teaches a different point of view than the Christian point of view. But there is no room, no room to oppose the Bible. And the Bible says in the very first verse of the very first book, in the beginning, God created. It didn't say in the beginning, life evolved. In the beginning, God created. It didn't say in the beginning was a big bang. Does it? Remember, the big bang theory is more than a television show. It's just a theory. In the beginning, God created. And the The thought of considering this is an insult to God. How can we 
have a biblical viewpoint and think life evolved? How can we be believers in the Bible and that, is, that it is absolute if we take on the theory that something happened from a big bang? It's an insult to God himself to consider that something else other than him and he alone created this earth. Who would ever take a, take a Picasso painting and say another artist painted it? Who would take a dolly and say my neighbor painted it? Nobody. And how can we consider that anything other than God created life that we live in? Right on? Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So there was no order. There was no structure. There was no light. There was no life. How many of you have been caving? Splunking. That's what you call caving, splunking. Well, Missouri. Missouri is the most cave-populated state. And I've done a lot of, I, did, I, I did a lot of caving uh, living in Missouri the time that I did. And there's a point in the cave that you get to that no light penetrates, nothing. We've actually been pretty far back and our lights went out on us. And you actually get an understanding of what it's like to be in nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You are in an, you're just, your immediate environment is nothing. It's void of anything. And in the beginning, there was no order, there was no structure, there was no light, there was no life. But, can someone say but? (laughs) The Spirit of God was hovering. This, again, now, this is, another, this is a, another lesson and another story on, into how God works. This is one of the beauties about uh, the story of creation is you get a bird's eye view of how God works. And we see that the Spirit was hovering over the nothing. The Spirit was hovering over the dark. The Spirit was hovering over over the lack of order, over the lack of structure. And this is an insight into what God does, into what the Spirit does before God begins to work. And you will begin to see this throughout the Old and the New Testament. Before God ever does anything, the Spirit of God is always hovering. The Bible says, how can a man come unto the Lord unless the Spirit draweth him? Before the apostles were sent out to establish the new church, God, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise. The promise was the Spirit. 
in our lives. If you want to know what God is beginning to do, just pay attention to what the Spirit is doing as He's hovering over your life. And you might have some void, and you might have some darkness, and you might have some things that is out of order, but it doesn't stop the Spirit of God from hovering over your life because the Spirit of God and the Word of God works in unison and works in conjunction with one another. The Spirit is stirring, is moving, is preparing, is convicting, and then God speaks and things just happen. The earth was formless without void, but the Spirit was hovering, and God said, let there be light. Or he might have said, let there be light. We don't know. I doubt it, though. I doubt it. I doubt it. Because there's other places in Scripture that his voice sounds like thunder, and I've never heard thunder go, I was raised in Mississippi most of my life, a little bit in Missouri, and we got thunderstorms all the time, and I miss it deeply. I wish God would just send California some thunderstorms. And you heard this, boom. It would shake the house sometimes. And there's places in Scripture when God would speak, and people actually thought it was thundering as opposed to his, uh, his word. So no, God didn't speak in the voice of Pee-wee Herman or anything like that. You guys remember Pee-wee Herman back in the day? Yeah. He wasn't a good guy. I wish I didn't even bring his name up. He, he was a pervert. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> I always stick my freaking boot in my mouth, huh? So let's go to day one. God said, let there be light. There was a separation of light and darkness. There became the establishment of time. Because time is established by day and night. The exchanging of suns and moon, sun and moon, even though that's not when the sun and the moon was created. So God said, i got to camp out on this. Like I said, some of these are going to camp out on, some of these we're going to breeze through. And God said, so when I was studying, studying and when I was going over this, just I, I couldn't get that out of my system. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, let there be light. And, and I love this last part of 1-3, and there was light. Think about it. God said, and there was. Oh, I serve a mighty God. Man, it gives me chicken skin. God said, and there was. God said, Nothing compares to the empowerment and the effect and the strength of God's voice. Because when he speaks, nothing becomes matter. 
God said, let there be light. And there was light. When meditating on this, I couldn't help but to think of a gun. We're going to go from Pee Wee Herman to a loaded gun today. God's voice to me is like a loaded gun. A loaded gun is only used and the trigger is only squeezed in specific purpose intended moments. You shouldn't be pulling and squeezing triggers whether it's loaded or not, but in the context of what we're talking about, a loaded gun, the trigger of a loaded gun should never be pulled without intention and without purpose. To me, God's voice cannot be heard in an audible fashion because of the dramatic effect that occurs when his voice is sounded. Just like a loaded gun can not be, the trigger of a loaded gun cannot be pulled or squeezed at a specific, unless it's a specific giving moment, because of the drama and the effect and the impact and the possible life-altering experience that one could have when a trigger is squeezed from a loaded gun. We wonder, why don't we hear God? Why don't God speak to us? And I'm not, speak, I'm not talking about in the form of thought or in the form of vision or in the form of word revelation or word knowledge. I'm speaking in the form of audibility. Why does not God speak in the form of audibility? Why can we not hear him? Because it is so powerful. It is so changing. It is so life-altering. And in Scripture, when there was an audible sound of God's voice, It didn't always go well because as human beings, we have downsized an ability to walk and hear God. So Adam and Eve, it was believed that they walked and heard God in the cool of the day. They had this ability to be unaffected by the thundering sound of God's voice. But then Adam and Eve sinned and established a sinful nature inside of humanity. And that sinful nature lessened man's or woman's ability to hear the vibration and the thundering sound of God's voice. Now why do I say that? I say that for some very specific reasons. Some ears can't handle or even distinguish the sound of God's voice. When God spoke as Jesus was on the cross, some people was like, it was thunder. And some people was like, no, it was angels speaking. On the Mount Transfiguration, the three disciples that went up with Jesus, at the end of this dialogue between Jesus and Moses and Elijah, God spoke, and the Bible says that the three disciples fell to their knees in fear, trembling simply because God spoke. 
Another instance in Deuteronomy, it says, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, talking to Israel, and still live? So we see that there is a possibility of people even dying at the sound of God's voice. And we ask ourselves, why don't God speak to me? Do you want to be freaked out? Do you not want to sleep for a few days? Do you possibly want to die? Do you want the sounds of thundering so loud that your ear, your ear uh, drum explodes? But yet Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the day, but Adam and Eve sinned. It created a divide and a separation between humanity and God. And now what does God use to speak to us? Number one is he uses his word. He uses visions that is backed by the word. And he uses pastors and prophets and apostles and evangelists and teachers and other believers in Christ that speaks God's word into us, but yet it is also backed by the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Being raised in church, being in ministry for about 30 years almost, I can honestly say I've only met a couple of people that has said to me I've actually heard the audible voice of God. It is rare, and it usually requires a very special person in a special situation that has been set aside like Israel. Moses said to Israel, who like you has heard the voice of God and yet has still lived? Because Israel was put in a very special predicament in a special situation. They was led by a fire by night and a cloud by day, and they witnessed God move in miraculous wonders through the wilderness. They was in a special place and they were a special people and let's just be real we're not as special as they were so for the majority of us and the majority of the time we cannot handle the voice of God and some people want to hear the voice of God because they don't want to go here go Lord just tell me what I should do Read the book and find out what you need to do. Lord, just tell me what I need to do. Get on your hands and knees, pray and fast to get a revelation of what you should do. Lord, just speak to me. Is this the right person or not? Well, spend some time with that person. If you are, if they are not followers of Christ, then they're not the right person for you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes, when I teach, I preach too. I'm sorry. It kind of goes to the territory. Moving on to day two. Let me read it. Starting with verse six. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Oh, I'm going to the third day. I'm sorry. Back up, back up, back up. Let me finish with the last one I read. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning 
the second day. So the second day, again, we see a separation and we see the establishment of weather patterns. An expanse between the waters, a separation of what, where the waters come from, where the waters are held, and where the waters exist. Then we move on to day three, going to breeze through, through, through these two. If I can get the next slide, please. Let me read. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruits bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, seed, according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The third day. We see how God separated the land and the water. And this actually is a transitional day. It's not fully a separation day and it's not fully a population day. We see that there was a separation between land and water so that there could be the development of plant growth so that there could be the establishment of food. So technically day three fits into two categories, a day of separation but then a day of population. A day that was populated by vegetation that produced food. Remember, God causes us to be separated, and then God causes us to be populated. God removes some things that could hinder the population, and then God puts us in a position for his will to populate our lives. So if there was not a separation of land and water here, there could not be the population of vegetation that produced food here. Somebody needs to hear this today. Some days, some at times, God will separate us so that he can produce what he needs to produce in us. You might ask this question, why am I going through what I'm going through? Why don't these people like me anymore? Why I don't like them anymore? Maybe God is working deeper in you than you realize because he's trying to establish a separation So he can initiate a population of what he's called you to produce. Maybe God needs to separate you from something if you need to make more money. Maybe God needs to separate you from something if you need better relationships. Maybe God needs to separate you from something if you need a marriage 
or a good marriage. I ain't telling you God's trying to separate you from your husband or your wife. I ain't saying that. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, don't put words into my mouth. I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. Are you breathing this morning? I feel like I'm cutting you short, but there ain't no way I'll keep you here for another hour if I go into the last, the other days, because I even have more to give. So let's go back. Let's just look one through three. Take me back to the, to the other slide, and then we'll let you guys go. Worship team, you guys can make your way. So day one, what did God create? Oh, help me out now. Preach to me. Day one, what did God create? Day two? The expanse. And then day three? There we go. Dry land, but also vegetation. When we're finished with this, end of next week, I want you guys to be able to know what God did in six days. All you got to do is go home and read Genesis chapter 1. Read it, five, read, it, read it every day this week. And hopefully you'll remember and have an idea of exactly what God did in the story of creation. It's a wonderful story. Story of life, story of order, story, story of structure, story of blessing, story of intimacy with him. I mean, God, the list goes on. It's a story of origin. I love the story of creation because it's the story of origin. If you want to really look at what God intended for the earth, just look at creation. We're going to talk more about that next week. You just see the will of, you see the will of God. You see the heart of God. You see the artist coming out. When you spend time with someone who's really artistic and very creative, most of the time, what they create is an extension of themselves. God fits in many categories with many characteristics. And one of the characteristics that really isn't spoken a lot of is the creative characteristic of God. Art. Being, arti- being artistic, being creative didn't come from someone who just likes to paint. It came from God. And we see it right here. And the point that I'm making is like any true artist, any true creator, an extension of themselves come out in their work. When you look at creation, you see God. See, the heart of God, the mind of God, the desire of God, the passion of God, the beauty of God. You see the taste of God. You see the palate of God. You see how he likes variety. You see how he appreciates coloring contrast. You see that he's not a black and white God, but he is a God of all the colors of the rainbows and the colors that blend blend together to make other colors. He's a God of beauty. He's a God of wonder. He's a God of order. He's a God of structure. He's a God that's powerful out of the sound of his voice. 
circumstance change. So as you're leaving here this week, I pray that you can leave here with an awe of God. Going over this kind of just took me back to that mindset. Wow. Like looking at El Capitan in Yosemite. Wow. Or looking at the big Sequoia Grant. Like, wow. I didn't know trees could be so big and so old. Or driving up the canyon when the current is in full force. And you see the white water just rushing down. And you're just in awe of the energy and the power. When going over the story of creation and thinking about how God spoke and thinking about the architecture and the design that God God used to establish the separation of land and sea and the installment of a greater and a lesser light and the formation of vegetation that would feed and heal the life forms to come. I'm just like, wow. I'm honestly like this. I said, I'm honestly like, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy to be called your son. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. I'm so unworthy to be hovered over by your spirit. I'm so unworthy to be the aftermath, aftermark of one of your swipes one of your brushes, of one of your words, of one of your plans. I'm so unworthy because I'm this peon. I'm this man that's not perfect, but yet I'm made in your image and this likeness and, and you love me and you created me and you called me and you you, you the one that made this you the one that, 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 that's bigger than any of it the, the, the Bible says when it came to the sun and the moon I, I, I might get there next week is that he, he put them in place as I would take this pad and put it in place and I would take this water bottle and put it in place God took the sun and put it in place and he took the moon and he put it in place the majesty and the power and the strength and the size is almighty God cannot be comprehended by my peon mindset and I am absolutely in awe and I'm in fear and I got a sense of being so unworthy of the magnitude and the greatness of almighty God because the God that moved the sun and the God that moved the moon is the same God that formed and shaped me and loved me and has been tender with me and has been forgiving and has been gracious and has been empowering me and it causes me to say oh God thank you oh God thank you oh God thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for, for choosing me 
Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. Thank you. I wish I could remember David's Psalms. I have such a hard time remembering things like that. David just spoke of his position of just being in awe of this majestic great God. What's so awe-inspiring is even in his majesty, even in his power, he still chose you and I. He, he hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't forgotten, he hasn't forgotten you. The God that moved the sun hasn't forgotten you. The God that positioned the moon hasn't forgotten you. The God that spoke and it was hasn't forgotten you. And he loves you just as much. I would say more. than he loves any creation he said, let it be. If you leave here today, leave here with the acknowledgement that you're not forgotten and you are loved by our big, strong body, unable to articulate the, true, the truth or the totality of God. You are loved by Him. Can you stand to your feet? I think this is a perfect moment just to Let's just worship God. Worship team, just lead us into some intimate worship. Lead us into some intimate worship. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.